Welcome to the Catapulting Commission's podcast. This is the place where we discuss how to maximize performance and improve retention with today's modern sales force. Every conversation on the show has one goal in mind, and that is to catapult your commission. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia, international best-selling author, motivational speaker, and a lifelong sales enthusiast. Be sure to join me every week as we interview sales leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. We will discuss best practices and ensure that you leave motivated and inspired to take action. Now, let's enjoy today's episode. Catapulting Commissions family, what's up team? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia. Thank you for joining me again this week. Appreciate the content. I appreciate you joining the show, listening to the show, and sharing the show. Today's guest comes from us from New York. Her name is Amy Rahuf Check. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Amy. Amy is not only a bona fide badass salesperson, she's a sales empowerment pioneer. She's the host of the Revenue Real Hotline. You will find a link to that show in the show notes. I highly recommend you add it to your list. She is on a mission to bring joy into tech sales. Overall, said and done, I bring tons of sales professionals on the show. Amy is a bona fide sales badass. We're going to talk a lot about sales and what it is that she is doing, that she is teaching, and how we can have fun, right? Because at the end of the day, we want to have fun and bring enjoyment to what we do in our life. At the end of the day, we also want to make some money. So I always think, I always associate making money as fun. Amy, welcome to the Catapulting Commission Show. Anthony, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. So, Amy, let's let's kind of jump into this. How did you like? Let's just go to the beginning, right? Okay. I'm I'm at a point in my life where people always ask, "What is it you do for a living? Like, how do you make money? What do you do?" And I I'm just point like I work in sales. I just like that's it. I own it. I work in sales. I'm not gonna like go around it. Not everyone has that swagger. Not everyone has that confidence. They're like, ah, I do this and whatever other BS. But I'm curious, how did you get started in, in sales and how did sales become your passion? Because now you've been doing it for such a long time that you're bringing value to, to the sales community with your amazing show. So yeah, let's start there. Yeah, well, you know, I was raised by a sales VP. And one, I start with that to say that I was very fortunate, privileged even, because I was desensitized to the stigma of that word. And it's also like one of my favorite sales books, probably my favorite sales book is uh, Dan Pink's, right? To Sell is Human. And so I... Um, just have always thought differently about what sales is and what it represents. And, and really just to, to take it a step back, it's, it's about being able to help someone hone in on, on what is most important to them and help them get it, which is, you know, obviously not, not unique into just this profession. You can also sell, you know, your nieces on why eating broccoli is a good idea for, for dinner when we don't want to do that. So to sell is human. I, that said, it was not my first career choice, like many people. And I think a big part of that for me, I, you know, who wants to do what their, what their dad does? Are we, Anthony, are we allowed to curse on the show or is that going to be? Fire away. You're good. No worries. Fire away. <laughs> okay, good. Just check it. Just check it. Um, like who the hell wants to do what their dad does for a living? And so my first like choice, my first career path was going to be politics. It was politics. And I, you know, 
Uh, I won a competition in high school for, uh, it was a model Congress competition. I'm very, very competitive. So, it, you know, took first place. It was a tri-state thing. I was on the path after graduating from American University, which is in D.C., my first job, a gubernatorial race. And Anthony, I... We so gubernatorial. That's listeners. That's a governor's race, and it was. We, I was working in the primaries, right? And so our guy actually, you know, was very sad, but he lost in the primaries. And I remember vividly Anthony sitting there the day after the results came in and watching all of my colleagues, right? Uh, and I was a kid, right, twenty-two years old, his first job, and they're all packing up their boxes, right, their desks, and. They were all literally getting up and moving to our competitors' campaign, right? So this was the person that we had been competing against for, well, you know, the better part of five months. I personally had really fallen in love with the platform and the mission and the candidate and took the competition very seriously. And I remember something breaking inside of me when I watched everyone collectively just shift their allegiance. And I realized that this was a career path that I just, I couldn't do. It's, it's like maybe I was young and idealistic but it wasn't for me. And so at that point, I had a really uh, important conversation with my dad about the difference between being a work producer and a work processor. And what that meant for your career path. And really just essentially a work producer is something that someone that create can create something from nothing. Call this sales, call this account management, call this entrepreneur, whatever. But to my dad's point and credit, he said, Amy, when you work to develop your work producer skills, the ability to create something from nothing, they will serve you very well throughout your career. They're very transferable. You can pick them up and take them wherever you want. And so that's what I saw out to do. And I haven't looked back since. I love that. We, we grow from these life experiences. And, and as you sit and say, right, going to the competition, like it's just, it's, it's like the, you know, I hate using Kevin Durant. I know you're in New York, but it's like the Kevin Durant move of, of business. But I get it. But I, I like how you, how you look at it and you say, okay, this, this really isn't for me. I, I look in a position and I say, okay, there's some joy and passion in moving into something you want to do, right? In sales. And I look at salespeople who are succeeding at a high level. Like anytime you find someone who's successful in sales, like, they're fun. Like the job's fun. You're making tons of money. It's exciting. It's easy to recruit people. So you make that decision. First sales job, what was your first sales job? Your formal, if you can say it. Yeah, no. So I, it was ADP, major accounts, okay. like many of us, our generation, I feel like pay, like uh, paychecks and ADP really mm -hmm. trained up most of us. But I was very meticulous at that point because I knew that I needed some training. I needed to up my skill game and I wanted to do so quickly and effectively. And so I did my research at that time, which was probably still, uh, I think it was, I, I don't know, I'm dating myself, but I, my first job just to put in for perspective, friends, I was still using MapQuest. And it was a very exciting day when I got the TomTom -tom on my 
off my dashboard. So let's be, that's like, that's where that was at. But anyway, so I did my research. And at the time, the company that had the best sales training program in the country um, was almost unanimously pointed at it at ADP. And so ADP, right, payroll, HR services. But I, I knew I didn't want small business services. And so I started stalking out major accounts until they, and national accounts too, for that matter. National laughed at me, right? 22-year-old, 23-year-old kid, like, like, get the hell out of here, child. <laughs> but major accounts gave me a shot. And it was an amazing experience. And I'm not sure how much detail you'd like me to go into. However, I was... Um, so it was tech really in many ways, because we were selling these like time entry systems. So think punch cards, right? Mm -hmm. And replacing it with a biometric hand scanner or fingerprint scanner. So you got the hardware, you got the software before the cloud. Um, and that's what I was doing. And so I got into the tech sales game very young and I was the only woman on our sales floor. And frankly, the, the youngest person hired by that division, you know, at least at that time, uh, across the country. So... I know where the bodies are buried uh, mm -hmm. at the same time, but I, I, I credit the foundation that I received from, from you know, that, that onboarding program, really in many ways, which lasted almost like a year. So they, they did not mess around over there. Definitely don't, right? And I think, you know, ADP is one of those companies that has like a staple for providing quality sales training and to get into major accounts is one of your first jobs. I mean, that is kudos to you because that's not an easy, easy place for anyone to land. Uh, you know, my my background, fun fact, I started, uh, I started in Cutco Cutlery, but but okay. and that, I did that six years, and then my first B two B transition was to paychecks, which I'm sure you're familiar with. So I totally sure. get where yeah. you're coming from. So you go from ADP, you get into this world of sales, and you know you you work there for a year, and, and you start you 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 have some some stints at some other very really really well respected companies, have some data, have some have some stats, the accolades in B two B sales. Bring us up to speed. Now, what is it that? You're doing. I mean, I know you're completely. You one. You're a host of an amazing show and a podcast, Revenue Real Hotline, which you definitely want to go listen. Catapulting Commissions Family, but mm -hmm. what is it that we that your entire entire sales experience is bringing you? What are we doing nowadays? Yeah. So over the past, so I. But listeners, I finished my career at Thomson Reuters, um, hit my annual quota in February, won a company-wide a a company award called the Spacha Award for Exquisite Champion Building. And at that point, I decided, so I sold into the legal sector. Um, and did some go-to-market consulting for startups, right? So I had a, a brand reputation on uh, in that the legal space, <laughs> which everyone Anthony jokes around about, like consensus building right now, and like how to create psychological safety with buying teams. Like I, I consider myself very fortunate in the sense that there was no purchases uh, in a partnership model inside big law, unless you you know learned how to do that. And so, but anyway, that said, I pivoted to sales enablement about seven years back after our startup was acquired. I was the chief of customer value there, a uh, platform as a service called Viewable. So really sitting at the intersection of the buy-sell um, arrangement, again, for legal services, enterprise legal services. That said, I realized when I took a step back that my passion, right, I actually went through this exercise where I pulled out my resume and I forced myself to put all of my little bu like bullets into one of three categories. Loved it, hated it, indifferent, 
right? And I made sure that those three categories were equal. And by doing that, what I realized was that empowering peers, empowering the field had always been one of my favorite parts of the job, you know? And so I know it's strange, especially when you're like sitting in an account executive seat, but I was um, field training all the time, right? Thomson Reuters was sending people to New York. I, I think at that point I had field trained like a I don't know, like 500 reps. Um, I was pulled into like annual sales meetings to um, do anyway, but I realized that that was one of my favorite parts. And so actually pivoted to sales enablement. And what I learned when I pivoted to sales enablement, like frankly, one of the hardest parts about making that switch and and listeners just, I've built out two departments since, um, was realizing how, (laughs) like the conversation about sellers, what it looked like and sounded like behind the curtain, right? Mm. These, they, they're, um, they are not problem solvers. They are, they, we need to fix them. And I, I mean, I could go on and on and on and it just, yeah. And so I made a decision that it, it didn't have to be that way. And so like, and, and then you look at some of this, the modern, like the stats that are coming out about like the buying experience and friends, like the buyer sentiment has shifted drastically, right? So the post-COVID buyer, let's just say, they're not very shy about um, how they're feeling about the B2B purchase experience. And specifically, most of them report feeling like a number. And it the irony that that is how we treat sellers is not lost on me. And so I have been very active in the past, let's say year and a half, coming up with new and different ways to empower the field. And so I spent about a year focused on uh, in the community space. And so helping to grow Rev Genius, which is a, a big community over there, or in the in the tech sales arena, we went from zero to I think like twelve thousand members over the course of a year. Uh, so that was amazing, and I have been working with actually a lot of inbounds. Anthony are reaching out because I've been writing about mental health and wellness, and there's not a lot of um, organizations or or entities that are creating and delivering programs or coaching services to help. Uh, move the needle on on that at like that joy that we are able to derive from from the job, and I think there's a bunch of factors that go into that. So, and then of course there's a, a big big influencer whose name shall remain nameless at this moment, but he's got a new book coming out. So, helping to create um, the companion content and the infrastructure to kind of scale out this, let's just say, sell in movement, and and I'll leave it at that. So that's what I've been doing. Well. One, thank you for sharing that. I mean, the the amount of value you provide into the sales community as whole is is massive. And there's so many things that that I want to peel back on, right? I mean, you 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 mentioned something, right? You got a perception when you're working to seeing what the reputation is of B2B sales professionals from the other side, right? We mm-hmm. and 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 maybe that goes to the beginning of how I started the show. Like some people are embarrassed to say they work in sales. Like they're just like they have this stigma, like, I don't want to say I work in sales. And you hear some of these things like, hey, what do you do for a living? You're like, oh, I 
I work in payroll. I work in healthcare. I work in whatever. No, man, you work in sales. What you sell is whatever it is. At the end of the day, you're a sales professional. So there, mm-hmm. there is that component of, of reputation management that sales professionals have. And I imagine as you go in your career of, of sales enablement and, and you look at it and you say, okay, what are the resources that I can put in front of sales professionals? Is part, let's, 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 let's peel that layer back. The reputation of that sales professional. Is there something that sales enablement can do that can help the B2B sales professionals with the reputation management? Or is this more of an internal teaching that sales professionals are tending, are tending to ruin their reputation during a sales process? Yeah, okay. So I think it's a it's a bit of both. Okay. But and I'll I'll go into that each in 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 their own turn, but just to take a step back, friends, we've earned our reputation as sellers, right? We when we are unable to set aside um our objectives or our, our priorities and not do a good enough job connecting with the prospects and connecting with the buyers and honing in on what their most important thing is, right? This this like plugging of the nose when it comes to thinking about salespeople or not wanting to interact with salespeople again we've earned that reputation and and i think anthony a great thing to be point at is you know the difference between persuasion based selling and influence based selling right the majority so first of all the sales training industry is like a 20 billion dollar industry last year that doesn't fucking work so let's talk about that ways for a second <laughs> but the majority of those trainings are about like teaching persuasion skills and i think that it is fundamental that most human beings do not feel good about persuading someone to do something that they do not want to do. And so if if your listeners, if you find yourself in a situation where you are relying heavily on persuasion skills instead of beefing up your ability to influence, um, that's a problem. Also, an opportunity, right? Something to, to focus on and to work on. But that using persuasion as like just a blunt instrument to, you know, force or try to get the prospects or the buying teams to conform to your sales process on your sales line based on your quota attainment for that. I, that's where the resentment comes from. And that's where like deep down inside, it doesn't feel good to behave that way. And I, now I think this is where empowerment or enablement has an opportunity. And that is to demonstrate or point at that there is such, there is another way, there is a different way. And there are different types of skills that you can work through. And there are different ways to go about getting there. For example, like cold calling, right? And I want to distinguish between cold calling and warm calling, right? And there's, there's, however, if you're excited about like a 2% conversion rate and that 2% conversion rate is, is half a point better than it was yesterday, that is absolutely cause for excitement. But let's look at the 98% of people that felt alienated or like no, like their time was wasted or no value was brought to the table. And I, I think that we as a profession could do a better job of asking questions. What is there a better way? Um, especially as the, the B2C purchase experience becomes more customized and personalized, like that bar of the buying experience is only going to lift up. And as sellers, I think it's our responsibility to change with the tide. Um, 
and do a better job at doing so. Now on the sales enablement side, I think there's tons of opportunities, but one of the biggest ones is internally inside of our companies as sales enablement professionals, we can absolutely do a better job of representing the voice of the field right? And actually listening to the things that the field needs before we create another case study, before we buy another piece of technology, before we, you know, fill in the blanks. And, and that is, is a massive, massive opportunity that, that is still at the early stages of adoption. Hey, I wanted to take a quick minute and interrupt this episode. I hope you're enjoying what you have heard thus far. Have you heard the good news? The international best-selling book, Catapulting Commissions, has been named a 2021 Selling Power Magazine book recommendation. And I want to thank you, the Catapulting Commissions family. You can claim a free copy by texting hello to 661-228-8967. You can also find out more information at catapultingcommissions.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. Sales enablement as as a as a subspecialty or as especially in the world of sales is going to be the driving force on the buyer and consumer experience. Like at the end of the day, right, how we're training, right, because 20 years from now, right, Amy, you and me, we probably there's going to be the next generation behind us that are going to be the people that are in the streets that are, are making the sales that are driving this. And what does that reputation look like? I love what you said. My favorite quote of the day, we're going to find a way to use it again. The sales training industry doesn't fucking work. I love it because the truth is that persuasion based selling is still like what everyone believes. And I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here on you, Amy, because I just, I want to enjoy having a different perspective of somebody. Although I do what I'm going to say, I do agree with you. And so for my loyal listeners, like Anthony, you're full of crap with what you're about to tell right now because we've heard you say that doesn't work. I mean, I just did a, I just did a blog post a couple weeks ago where I'm like, always be closing is dead. So I totally get it. But matter of fact, here, I'll share with you the feedback that came to me on my DMs. This is, I okay. love this. Now we're going to wrote this. So I made a okay. post that always be closing is dead. That This is BS. This is crap. I read uh, it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I read it. A good friend of mine, Rory Vaden, who, who, who runs the Brand Builders Group, who, who started Southwest Sales Training many, many years ago. He had, you know, him and I have shared some conversations. He made a post a couple weeks ago that, you know, his perception of selling is, is not on that closing, hardcore closing mantra. And it's something that him and I have in alignment. I agree with him. So I made this post. Shit, you not. Here was the DMs. Yeah, I'm sure my company doesn't feel that way. How do I? How am I supposed to hit quota? Like that was that was a DM to me. I was like, I get it, totally get it. What do you have to say to that person? That the company wants them to persuade in order to. Yeah, they they feel they feel pressured that to behave that yeah, way to behave yeah. that way because to sell out. It, they want you know everybody wants a shorter sales cycle. Companies want more revenue, right? We, we essentially want more revenue today for the same amount of pay we were paying salespeople, salespeople three years ago. So, so there are B2B sales professionals that say, Anthony, I agree with you, but I have a quota and a sales leadership in a company that disagrees, that says yeah. we have to drive revenue. How does that person yeah. excel in this world? Yeah. Okay. So the first, first and foremost, friend, uh, you're not alone, right? There's many, 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 many of us that find ourselves in that exact situation. But at the end of the day, it's, you gotta be you. You gotta 
do and operate and behave in ways that are true to who you are and how you want to sell and whether or not that aligns with what the company says to do. Like, it's not sustainable, right? If you are feeling that ick factor and... <laughs> you know, speaking from experience, right, burning out like that is a that is a real thing. And so it's I, it's almost an imperative, right, in order to maintain your performance at, over an extended period of time, you do have to figure it out. Now, I, I would say that there are lots of us who do and have right figured out what is how we want to sell and how we want to behave and then, you know, <laughs> uh, know how to turn to a manager that that presents like a you know, an action maybe that is not in alignment with how we want to behave. And I think a great line is, that is a very interesting thought. Let me think about it. Mm-hmm. And then continue doing what you were doing. So that should buy you some time. However, then you got to figure out how to make it work, right? You got to figure out how to um, convey the maximum impact per touch point with each particular buyer. And so I don't want to say that timing is not a factor because time is absolutely a factor. However, you can you cannot force the buyer to move through your sales process. The buyer has their own buying journey, their own buying process. And if we as sellers make that too um, fraught or there's too much friction, if we make it harder for them to move through their process, they're going to do it without us. However, um, that does not mean that we cannot bring value to them during their process and during their timeline, but it's just a matter of like reversing the mindset, right? It's the way that our sales processes have been designed, right? It's they're designed for the company, right? Because the one of the first principles of processes is that value flows at the pull of the client. But in order to generate X amount of dollars by X amount of time, like let's be serious about whose process that serves. And so it's it's a matter of t- being able to take a step back and assessing the actions right, that you're taking for your buyers and which ones have high value and which ones don't. And then removing the ones that that don't and focusing on, on those high value things. And then you start to deliver results, right? And there's an experimentation and an iteration process, right? You have to test out with different ways to deliver value. You got to measure and manage. Okay, I had these actions and then this, this, this is what the results were, right? And so look at those conversion rates and be very specific with those conversion rates. And so, you know, I, I empathize, right? You don't have a lot of time and you, there's certainly not a lot of room for error. However, when we are unable to hone in on who we are and how we want to sell, then we're not going to be able to deliver the results anyway. And I promise you that same boss and that same company that is very concerned with their process, they're going to fire you all the same for underperformance. And so you really, you need to take some ownership over, over not only your job, but how you want to sell. And then that will, of course, bring the number. It's not a, a sexy answer and it's certainly not a straight line, but it, just, it starts with mindset. I, I love, I love it. I mean, you you say there, it's, it starts with that mindset. I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off. You were going to add something, so I totally apologize. We're, no, we're no, recording live, it, and I, I, I don't even don't even edit stuff out. We keep this thing live, so I dig it. So I love what you said about the mindset. And and Amy, as you're saying that, I think about my journey in 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 corporate America sales and working with sales leaders and sales managers. I'll never forget 
One of my sales managers sat me down one time during January when I was working at Paychex. And if you, if you go back to the payroll days, January is like the big, big push. And I remember it was like yeah. January 3rd and I had this massive goal and I was starting to stress. And, and she made a statement. She was like, look, just be you. Like, don't. And because and, and we were getting reports from from our area VPs and pressure and, and people weren't on pace. And it was January 3rd, mind you. It was 31 fucking days in January. And I was getting this. I was like, all right, guys, I'm sorry I didn't have everyone start payroll on January 2nd, the first day. My bad. But mm-hmm. remember, just being you. And as I look at that, I, I, I would tell that same person, here's the feedback I shared with that person, and, I, and I'll share with the Catapulting Commission's family. If you feel that pressure from your, 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 your VP, your company, here's my two responses. One, be authentically you. Because the authentic version of yourself is going to excel. No, Now, being authentically you... You know, doesn't mean you have to go to this hardcore persuasion sales style, right? There, there really is an influence-based style of styling that is effective. And if you know your process takes a little bit longer, then account for that. So I would, I told this person, I'm like, look, I get it. I might not be able to move the needle in a hardcore high pressure the way my boss wants to. Well, fuck him. Because I can do it in my fashion. And in order for me, and at the end of the day, your boss, every sales manager, at the end of the day, I hate saying this, but it's truth. If you're producing numbers, they're going to leave you alone, like just point blank. Yeah. So yeah. just produce the numbers, knowing that, okay, yeah. everyone else has 10 prospects to close four deals or to close six deals and they're high pressure. It may take me 14 because I choose to go in a different fashion. At the end of the day, we're giving the same end result and your management will leave. Now, on that flip side, Catapulting Commission's family, I know several of you are managers here. And, and this goes to the sales manager and to the sales uh, pr- contributor that's feeling this way. The war for talent is at an all-time high right now. Like mm-hmm. 100%. If you are a quality, talented sales professional, I can guarantee if you're not happy where you're at, there is someone that will pay top dollar for your skill set somewhere else. Sales managers, you think I'm lying? I'm going to let you know right now. You're full of shit. You're, you're lying to yourself. The the war for top sales talent is at an all-time high right now. And the people that are getting taken are not the persuasive, they're not the persuasive sellers, because those are a dime a dozen. They're people that have have finessed and expertise that skill of I can make an influence-based sale. It goes to the line we say on the show all the time. The best sale takes place when no one feels like they've been sold. So I I love I love what your response there, Amy. Well, yeah, you know what, Anthony, it's a, I'm about to admit something. I'm going to share something with you that I haven't told anybody or any, like, Love barely it. even, like, told my boyfriend. But, like, okay, so that's about to happen. But I do want to give a massive shout out to uh, Andy Paul right now and um, to your your listener friend that you, that or the commenter in the section with the book that I'm talking about, that I'm working about. This is entirely what it's about. And it's all very actionable. And the announcement for the book, so I'm not going to say the title, but it's totally in line with the why you thing that you were talking about, Anthony. Um, the book is available, will be available for pre-order. I think it's November 22nd, The Psycho's Live. This is the content that I'm creating is how to do all of these things, how to be you and how to show up as yourself and how to navigate this uh, scenario that you speak of inside companies. And so anyway, shout out Andy Paul, shout out the new book, February 2nd, 2-2-22. And it reads like a fucking how-to manual. Wait until you see these blurbs that people are writing. It's just like mind-blowing shit. But yeah, you're not alone. There are a lot of people that are feeling the same exact way. And um, the manual on how to move the needle there is is coming. And I, I could not be more honored to participate in this particular project. So that's it.
here's what to your point about uh, the influence based talent versus performance based or excuse me persuasion based talents, which is nonsense. Um, I just got a new tool, otter.ai, right? And so it transcribes all the notes and like, it's just like mind blowing thing. It's cool for podcasting, but like hello for action items and follow up for, for sales calls. Anyway, it got me thinking that there's been so much that's changed since the seven, since seven years, right? It's been seven years since I really technically carried a bag. Um, and I really wanted, there's a piece of me, Anthony, that's like, should I get back into the field for like, just to like brush up on my skills, brush up on the, the new buyers, brush up on, um, you know, taking a lot of these principles that I'm, I'm talking about, I'm writing about, I'm creating experiences so that others can learn and internalize them for the first time and, you know, make a, make a go for it. I don't know. I don't have this answer yet, but like, it is certainly a seed that has been planted. What do you, what do you think? I, I gotta be honest with you, right? Sales, <laughs> I have gone from individual contributor to team leader to visionary coach, consultant, entrepreneur. I've done it all. And every time someone asks me, like, hey, how do you feel? I could be like, look, it's like taking a boxer mm. out of the ring. Like, I enjoy 100%. Don't get me wrong. Like, I enjoy being in the field. I enjoy selling. I enjoy that that thrill that comes with it because I choose to do it how, how we're discussing, which is fun fact, Catapulting English Family, me and Amy, we did not pre-plan this show, what we're going to talk about. So it's not like I have any affiliation to the book she's talking about. But with that being said, be sure to subscribe to the show, get connected, text the community 661-228-8967. When that book releases, I'm going to shoot a text out to the Catapulting Commission's family. I definitely think you could benefit from, from hearing, right, the, the manual of, of how to have that influence-based selling because this always be closing, high pressure, corporate America, not giving a crap. Like it's, it's old, it's dying. And you'll see the change over the next five to 10 years. You're either going to be on the forefront of it or you're going to be saying, I wish I would have adapted earlier. Now back to what your question is, Amy, dude, hundred percent. Like there's, and there's ways to do it within what you're doing right now. Like let's, I mean, we can, we can talk offline and I can't do, you know, there's things that are taking place in the catapulting commissions community that, that I can't disclose as of the time of this recording. But what I will tell you is Getting out and getting in front of people and, and, and negotiating and closing deals, I mean, it's just so much fun. It's like just sharpening the tool. Like I, I, it really is just sharpening the tool. It's so hard. My, my last job, I was a, I was in so sales and building out, and I, uh, we, I, I was brought in to help transition the team to enterprise selling, right? Because it had been very transactional, and the model was shifting, and whatever, blah 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 blah. I. So what we took on discovery first, right? That was mm-hmm. the first thing. And it took all my strength. Like I missed, right? I, I had reps that were excited. They were implementing the changes and they were starting to get the results and like better engagement, better connection, like better conversations, not pitches, like all that nonsense that is selling out. Um, and I, it was hard to silence the feelings of like, God, I wish I could like, I just, I wanted to have the conversations. I wanted to be working with the buyers. And, and so, yeah, I, I love to hear, I love hearing you say this. Now I'm like intrigued of what is this, what is this news that you speak of from the catapulting commissions community? But, Ooh. but yeah, no, you're, you're reaffirming this idea for me. And, um, I, I, I don't know. Also, too, Anthony, like, I don't, I have zero tolerance for any trainings or 
mm, that don't work. And I would say there was a point in my my career where I was very triggered by misinformation that was spewed with a microphone, right? I just like, if I were sitting in a like conference room or yeah, somebody like it was a big time influencer that's saying that like relationships don't matter. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. You don't have to marry your prospects, but like, First of all, there's a million types of relationships and you better believe that that trust is important and good luck getting somebody to trust you without that baseline of connection. Uh, anyway, I digress. I, I don't even remember the original point, but I'm excited and I'm I'm glad to hear you you supporting this idea because I value your opinion. Oh, I, I definitely I definitely thank you for failing the opinion. And and we're, we're we have a lot of alignment with what you're sharing and what I naturally teach. I, I also like what you said, right? That the microphone influence, this goes for any listeners right now. If you're a loyal listener to Catapult to Commission Show, or if you're coming over from the revenue hotline, listen to Amy, like 100 percent Take everything you say, educate yourself, because I will share this and I won't say the name, but there are some massive influencers. I'm at the point now where I've I've purchased people's stuff. Because I want to see what it is they're selling. Like yeah. I just I just want to see. And and here's the thing. I in the last four months, no lie, I've coached several businesses that have come to me and said, I purchased sales training from XYZ. And at this point, I'm not gonna say every major sales trainer or influencer or person you know, but let's just say a good percentage of them have been the names that these customers are selling. I purchased this training from XYZ. This person was featured in a movie, so they must be good. This person was on a reality TV show, they must be good. This person has 450,000 followers, so they must be good. Mm-hmm. And my response has been, have your sales grown? The answer is always no. Like, it's just flat out no. What did you pay to get this information? The numbers are outrageous. So then I went, I was like, let me buy and see what these people are teaching. Here's the thing. As we grow and innovate Catapulting Commission's family, the consumer that you should be training for today that you're going to be selling to isn't the consumer that we were selling to 20 years ago, 10 years ago, hell, even five years ago. I approach the Catapulting Commission's community and how I approach when people say, will you deliver sales training and, and, and will you create your own sales training? I approach it through the lens of I have two 12-year-old daughters. What are they going to buy in 15 from years from now? And can I create a training that is going to be attractive to that buyer? Where everybody else that is selling their shit right now is going back to the buyer from 1995. The buyer from 1985, right? And don't get me wrong. There's some solid fundamentals from these guys. I've shared the very first book I've ever read was Zig Ziglar's Secrets to Closing the Sale. Like there is some fundamentals that are are awesome in there. Mm -hmm. But like anything else, right? We're, we're not using the same cell phone. Or I don't yeah, think there was a cell phone that was written. You have to innovate and adapt. You got to check your source. Um, it's funny, Anthony, when I was, I, so I read that book too. When when I was at ADP driving around to these sales calls, I actually gave up music for a year so that I could, I, I mean, I, I used to call it a rolling university, right? Only nonfiction. I did books on tape, right? This was even before Audible, mm-hmm. any of that shit. So they were CDs actually. Um, and... Ah, I I don't know. So, but back to what you were saying about trusting this or checking the source, you're spot on about how things are are changing and and how stale a lot of this information gets. But I think there's, there's two sides of it. So one, yeah, that's on you listeners, right? You gotta, you gotta check your source, man, because 
Mm. And I, you know what, I had to let go of that triggering, right? Being triggered and sub it out for a new thought that is do what, what would it be like if I didn't have an opinion right now? And let me tell you, friends, that is a fucking liberating thought right there, right? Really frees you up (laughs) to focus on more important things. (laughs) But however, like, here's another thing too, about those that are creating content for training, like the way that I don't want to say the way that we are learning has changed, right? Because the way the brain works, whatever. But there's a lot of changes in modern learning. And so like, here's one example, like real time micro learning opportunities, right? I, I've been in the city really for, for 15 years. And but I'm actually in Jersey in the suburbs right now. Uh, through COVID on the Jersey Shore. It's hard to leave during the summertime, even though it's 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 now October. Um, but anyway, so I have a car, right? And it's and but I if I it's so silly, but I refuse to get AAA because that like almost like cements that I'm like I'm 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 committed to car ownership in suburbia. And so I've thought a lot about like what would I do if I get a flat tire? Okay. That said, but here's what I would do, friends. I would do what everybody else on the fucking planet who does not have AAA does that hasn't yeah, like I learned once when I was young. My, I'm sure my dad taught me. But I would whip out my damn phone. I would open up YouTube. I would find a five minute video on how to change the tire, and I would watch it. And then I would probably bring it outside and watch it while changing my tire. And then be on my merry way with and having retained the skills of now knowing how to change a tire because I fucking did it. And so this model is shifting. There are different types of experiences that people want. And so um, that would also be something that I would point out is, is not just... Um, I I pointed it to say that if someone is not adapting in their delivery of the content, Mm-hmm. Right. That mirrors with the delivery of now how people need and want to learn. Right. Entertainment is another big thing. Make, make it fucking fun, please. Jesus Christ, everybody. Um, but if they're not uh, leveling up on that side of the house, too, there's a there's a pretty solid chance that their content is is stale as well. So for anyone that wants any pointers on how to slice through the crap and get to the, the heart of it, that's another thing to look at, too. Different types of content delivery and um, some kind of like evolution there. Well. We're going to end on that because 100%. I think, Amy, you put a bow tie on this thing and and perception. Let's have some fun with it. Guys, I I can't say enough. I know we're coming coming to the close on on our time here, but Amy Ruhovchek is a bona fide badass. You want to get connected with her. Amy, how does the Catapulting Commission's family get a hold of you? How do they learn about you? All this fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think the best way is absolutely LinkedIn. Um, good luck spelling my last name. Uh, there's a tendency to invert the last two letters there, but it's like, can I buy a vowel, please? But once you get past that, or maybe Anthony will link to my profile in the show notes. Um, but yeah, no, reach out anytime. I am delighted and honored to be able to support in any way, shape, or form, especially when it comes to um, mental health. And I think, Anthony, just final thought is that when, when I talk about injecting more joy, one of the things things that's hard about our profession, right? And sustaining that performance over a long period of time is that, you know, we live in a society, the Western societies in particular focus on like success as being some kind of outcome, right? When I get married, when I have a child, when I buy a house, when, 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 then I will be happy. And that is nonsense. Not only is that just not the way that our brains work, um, but we're it's even harder for us as sellers because our outcomes 
technically speaking, they, they never come. Or if they do come, right, I hit my quarter, what do I have? A, a, a weekend to celebrate it and then it starts all over again and that shit wears on you. And so um, part of injecting more joy into the profession is to interpret um, what success is differently, right? Redes- redefine it and then to focus on getting a little bit better than yesterday. And again, so a different way to say that is the biggest competition that you should be focusing on has nothing to do with your product or what kind of features they've got. We're competing again, or even your team, right? Those, those stupid leaderboards that like create this toxic competition internally, like mute all that noise. The only competition that matters is yesterday's version of yourself. And as long as you can focus on that and celebrate the, the progress and success along the way, you're in, you're in great shape. And so again, uh, lots more content like that over on my LinkedIn profile and reach out at any time. And then, of course, the show as well. Well, Amy Robchak, you literally, you wrapped up with so much fire on there. We're going to have to bring you back on the Catapult Commission show in the future because that talk of that, that mental health, I mean, you literally speak to my chords. Like, that is... Man, we can we can start a whole other episode just on on that last statement right there. We're going to save it for another time. Uh, Amy Ravchek, Catapulta Commission's family. You will find her LinkedIn post in the show below. You want to get connected with Revenue Real Hotline. You will find that also in the show notes. And be sure to get connected with her on LinkedIn. Do me a favor, Catapulta Commission's family. Like, subscribe, comment, and I will see you next week. Catapulting Commission's family, that does it for today's episode. If you found some value, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe. That way you're notified of new episodes. If you want to see the video portion of this podcast, head over to YouTube and look up Catapulting Commission's podcast. Finally, if you want a free copy of Catapulting Commission's, be sure to text the word HELLO to 661-228-8967. Again, text the word HELLO to 661-228-8967. Thanks for listening to the show. I'll see you next week.